Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op this beautiful Thursday morning in Washington, D.C. It's sunny and uh, very brisk out, but it's great. This morning, we're going to talk about the Cooperative 100, the largest producing sales revenue co-ops in the U.S. You know, the University of Wisconsin did a study several years ago, and they said there's nearly 30,000 U.S. cooperatives operating at 73,000 places of business throughout the U.S. And that's about $654 billion in revenue and over 2 million jobs, $75 billion in wages. So there's a, the co-op has a huge impact. The co-op business model has a huge impact on the U.S., and most people don't know about it. And here we're going to talk about the top 100. We have Barry Silver on the line with us who has helped to produce this list through the years, and Sarah Smith from the Minnesota Milk Producers Cooperative, who is on the list. Good morning. And, Barry, I want to start with you. If you could tell us, uh, how did this list of this Cooperative 100 get started? Back 30 years ago, the National Cooperative Bank, which is a co-op bank owned by non-farm and non-electrical cooperatives throughout the U.S., decided that we could add to the publicity of the impact and effectiveness of co-ops by listing the largest co-ops in the country. Uh, despite the fact that co-ops work for their members, they often don't work together. So we wanted to create a, a list just like many private industries created the top 100 co-ops and the top 100 richest people in the world to show the impact of co-ops on American life and American community. And since we were involved in financing a large segment of the cooperative community, we felt it was important for us to do that because of the requirement and the need for ensuring that there's confidentiality in the financial statements that we receive from the co-ops. And we've been doing it for 30 years, and absolutely um, it has been a success and will continue to be a success. Fantastic. Thank you, Barry. So, Sarah, how did you get involved in co-ops? Well, Vernon, I grew up on a dairy farm, and dairy is very predominant in the co-op world. Uh, one of the reasons why is because milk is such a perishable product. So being able to get that perishable product to the marketplace as quick as possible, that is a significant financial endeavor for an individual dairy farmer. So many years ago, local co-op creamery associations realized that, hey, dairy farmers, let's, let's get together, let's work together, let's turn that milk into a product that the consumer is looking for in our area, and let's, let's get it to them. And so really, dairy co-ops represent we're better when we're working together. And so I grew 
grew up on a dairy farm that uh, shipped our milk to a cooperative. And that was a neat thing for me to understand as I got older and uh, had more understanding of the role the co-op plays in making sure the milk produced on my farm gets to where it needs to go. And so um, my degree is animal science, but I found out that I really love talking about dairy farmers and talking about the industry with people who didn't grow up on a dairy farm. And so that's how I kind of fell into a more communications role. And now I get to work for so. Associated Milk Producers Incorporated, AMPI, and I'm talking to you today from southern Minnesota, of all places. And um, here in the upper Midwest is a really comfortable place for cows to live. We have access to to feed and water, and so dairy co-ops, super, super predominant in our area. Fantastic, fantastic. And I can see you really enjoy the farms and the animals and the dairy and all of that, and you grew up on a farm. It sounds like you grew up knowing about co-ops. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So I knew my dad and, well, my family. Uh, We were members of the local co-op. And then over time, you um, those co-ops can shift and change and, and grow with their members and change with their members. And so now, for example, here at AMPI, instead of the milk going to the bottle, we call it, the fluid milk, um, Upper Midwest Dairy Farmers realize that there is a growing demand for cheese and butter. And so now at AMPI, uh, we predominantly make cheese and butter from our dairy farmers' milk. In fact, we are the largest U.S.-based cheese cooperative in the country, and we make 10% of the nation's American-type cheese right here at AMPI. So even though you don't know the name AMPI or Associated Milk Producers Incorporated, there's a pretty solid chance that you've enjoyed the cheese that we make. Fantastic. And the reason I wanted to bring her in, Barry, was because you talked about um, American way of life. Co-ops are American way of life, and it's also how communities work. And She grew up in a community where co-ops were very, very vital to that community. Where I grew up in West Virginia, my grandfather was in a mines and my father worked on a railroad. There was no such thing as a co-op. It was not even anything we discussed. And I didn't find out about co-ops until I was 45 years old. And that was managing housing co-ops. So it was nice to hear somebody that grew up in that world. And Barry, you, you all wanted at NCB starting 30 years ago to get people to understand. And what's the motto of this year's 100? The motto of this year's 100 is by the community for the community. Clearly uh, focus on getting the community involved and with all that we're experiencing with COVID, what better than to use co-ops to bring the community together? And Sarah is by the community, in the community, and they have co-ops for the community, for those farmers to get their milk to the community. So we want to talk about performance measures? Community is so important to how AMPI measures how we're doing. So we take a look at five key performance measures, and certainly we want to make sure our our members are thriving in their business, that employees are engaged in what they're doing. We need satisfied customers and profitable growth to continue from one year to the next. But central to all of it is enriched communities. 
And so we have an active uh, employee base that is involved in our communities through volunteering in many different civic organizations. We have a co-op-wide food drive whereby employees donate to their local food shelf. Community is core to a dairy farmer as well. Many dairy farmers are active in their local schools, their local churches, 4-H, SSA programs. There are so many different community involvement hats that dairy farmers wear, and and that is, like I said, it's central to co-ops, this concern for the community and being a part of your community. Well, there are seven cooperative principles And you've just talked about the seventh one. And so if a business calls themselves a cooperative, one of the first ways to look at that is to see how well they're doing against these seven principles. And the seventh one is concern for community. And that's one of your measures. I'd like that, of your five performance measures. And by the community, for the community is what this 100 is all about. Barry, do you know what's the – it's based on revenue, right, to be in this 100? Correct. We take the financial audit because we want the numbers to be indisputable. We take the financial audit every year. And so for the report that just came out in October, we use 2019 annual reports. It's take, it takes a number of months to gather these financial reports after they're issued by the, by the co-op and look for total revenue. And a lot of co-ops were in, in terms of total revenue, they weren't counting all of their sales. For example, uh, a lot of pharma co-ops have stores that operate within the community, and they were not including that revenue as a part of their total sales number. There are countless examples where we would go into the financial statements and add other income, which really is total sales, and use that to rank the co-ops. The, the largest one is um, based in the Midwest. And I don't have the list right. right CHS. 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 Senex Harvest States. And they're almost $35 billion in total revenue for 2019. But we have credit unions and their revenue is the income that they receive on loans that are paid by the members of the co-ops. And so we look at as many financial statements as we can and we look carefully. We work with um, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. Cooperative Finance Corporation that caters to the rural electric community and USDA to make sure we're including those co-ops that should be on the list. And there are some that haven't been on the list because they haven't sent me their financials. And they call up and they say, we want to be on this list. We'd like to be on this list. Why aren't we? The following year, they make sure that we get the financial statements and they're included on the list. So I see Navy Federal, which is very big here in the D.C. area, it's $7.9 billion, and they're number seven on the list. That's, that's huge. We Gina have Schaefer. credit unions have really moved up on this list over the years. Uh, we added the uh, credit union in California a couple of years ago, school's first federal credit union, and that's run by Mr. Cheney, who used to be the CEO of CUNA, I believe. So... I can I can tell you real briefly the the, um, the industries that are involved in co-ops that are on this list. Hold on a second. Later. Hold on. I'm, I'm gonna come back to that. Uh, okay. Sarah, can you tell us where Associated Milk Producers are on this list? You bet. So we came in at 27 on the list this 
year with our revenue in 2019 of about $1.6 billion. Wow, $1.6 billion. How many zeros is a billion? Is that six or nine or 12? <laughs> you know, I got to think, think about nine, it for just a second. Nine, nine zeros, so it's 1.585 yeah, billion dollars. Wow. Okay. And $371 billion of assets. Okay. So, listen, we're going to go to our first break now, and, and when we come back, I want to talk quickly about the four different uh, segments of a co-op. I'll go through that real quickly, and then, Barry, I want you to talk about the the different businesses. You're talking about the different types in here as it relates to those segments. And I really want to get to, and we, we may get it to the next segment or the segment after that, this by the community, for the community, and how each of these, we won't go through all 100 of them, but how they are showing that they're really in existence for the community. And it's one. that's why I like co-ops, though. They're there for the community, concerned for the community. And we'll be right back, everybody. Don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We are I'm just so excited to have Barry Silver and Sarah Smith on the line with us this morning to talk about the Co-op 100, looking at the profit and loss statements of all of the co-ops in the U.S. and picking those 100 that have the largest revenue and the assets that they have. So, Barry, I have it that there are four segments, four cooperative segments, and it depends on who owns and controls the business. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, then it's called a worker cooperative. So that could be any business you can think of. Any business, if it's owned and controlled by the, by the employees, then it's a worker co-op. If the business is owned and controlled, controlled by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer co-op. It's owned by the consumers, the clients, the people that use that. And you, housing co-ops, credit unions, some food co-ops. Food co-ops could be an employee or a consumer co-op. Uh, so there's different types of these. And then sometimes businesses or individuals will come together and create a co-op where they buy the products that they need to create whatever they're going to create, and that's called a purchasing co-op. So farmers have been using that. Sarah grew up with them doing this, and uh, artists are beginning to use this. There's a group in D.C. called Consumer Purchasing Alliance, and they work with nonprofits and charter schools to pool their purchasing power. And if a group of businesses come together to market their co-ops or add value to their co-ops, then it's called a marketing co-op, or it's sometimes called a producer co-op. And that's what AMI does. They take the milk and they make cheese out of it. Cabot Creamery, Land Lakes, Ocean Spray are names that, that people know about. But there's also a, a group of artists in Pittsburgh called Ujama, and they are black females that make artwork or they do jewelry, they do paintings, they do wood carvings, and they came together and formed a business so that they could create a, a workspace, a storefront. Any individual 
artists couldn't do that, but as a group they could to produce and sell and sell their products. So these are the four types of co-ops. So Barry, I wanted to talk about when you started talking right before we left out. Uh, what are some of these co-ops in which industry or which group they're in? What industry they're in? What what uh, uh, which one of these sectors? Okay, it was suggested to me that we put you at the edge of your chair. There are three million co-ops around the world. Ten percent of the of the employees that employed people work for co-ops around the world. That's huge. So, wait, wait, Barry, I got I got to stop you a minute because I don't get that. You said on the edge of my chair, but wait a minute. You said, are you at the edge 10 of your chair? Billion, ten billion. Ten percent of the employees. Ten percent of the employees around the world people who are work in around co-ops. the world work for co-ops. This is a number wow. that comes from the International Cooperative Alliance. And how and many it co-ops were there? Involves all the industries we're talking about. And was that three million, three billion, three million, three million co-ops around the world? So you gave a number about the number of co-ops in the U.S. This is the number of co-ops around the world: three million. Yes. And ten percent of all employees around the world work for co-ops. Significant in all different kinds of industries. So. You want me to you want me to talk about the different kinds? Where are co-ops in the industries? They're in agriculture, worker co-op, like you mentioned, purchasing co-ops. There are a number of cooperatives that have formed in the past twenty years of small business in the grocery field, in the franchise field, like Dunkin' Donuts and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Burger King. Say, how can they be co-ops? Well, they're absolutely co-ops, and they do business for their members. And they're uh, a Dunkin' Donuts organization co-op, for instance. Their members are the franchisees, and they buy product together to improve the um, distribution and receipt of product for their members in their stores. Housing co-ops. We all know about housing co-ops and, and, and financial co-ops. And besides just credit unions, CoBank is the largest uh, financial institution involved and owned by co-ops in the U.S., so... Um, Ace Hardware is a co-op owned by Ace Hardware retail stores, and that's a that's a kind of co-op, and they're absolutely involved in the community. So that's a purchasing co-op. They buy their products. So any small hardware company cannot compete against the big box stores like Home Depot and Lowe's. So, but if they come together all over the U.S., then they can have the same purchasing power and then they drive their prices down where they can compete against these larger companies. Correct. And we, we've had Gina Schaefer on the show three or four times. I call her the cheerleader for Ace Hardware because she's a, a, a young white girl with, with this great big smile, the smile similar to Sarah's, and you wouldn't think of her being in hardware, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, of all, you think of this rugged man in hardware stores, but she's in there, she's doing it, and, and really loves the co-op model. Sarah, give us a little bit more about Minnesota Milk Producers and AMI. You talked about the, the five things that you want to measure against, performance measures, and you said that you make 10% of America's cheese. Uh, what else do you like talking about this organization, particularly having grown up on a farm? You bet. 
Well, the the fastest way for me to summarize AMPI, I'm going to piggyback off of my 10% number. So here in the upper Midwest, and I know there's some uh, schools over your direction too, but this is Big Ten country. So I'm a, a proud grad of the University of Minnesota and our Golden Gophers, and it works really well for me to be able to summarize AMPI, Associated Milk Producers Incorporated, this way. In Big Ten country, we produce 10% of the nation's American-type cheese. So that's your Cheddars, Monterey Jacks, Colby Jacks, Pepper Jacks. That's what's called American-type cheese. We also make about 10% of the nation's pasteurized processed American cheese. So that's the cheese that we all love on our burgers, right? And then to just combine it even more with America's favorite foods, we produce 10% of the nation's butter. So cheese and butter are cornerstone products for AMPI. We have eight manufacturing plants located here in the upper Midwest, and those eight plants are really where the milk is. So we want to have plant manufacturing locations as close to the farms as possible because milk is so perishable. And so those include predominantly cheese and butter plants. And then we have one packaging plant in Portage, Wisconsin, where we make award-winning pasteurized processed American cheese. Like, it wins awards constantly. I've lost track of how many awards they've won in the last five years. It is the premium pasteurized processed American cheese. It's not the flimsy stuff that barely looks like cheese. It's the real deal kind of cheese. <laughs> You're making me hungry. Okay. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if I go into grocery stores, what am I going to look at? I don't see any AM or Minnesota. What's the brand? <laughs> That is the big question mark, right? So years ago, when these dairy farmers came together, they recognized that we could get our product in more places if we focus our attention on producing really good milk on the farms and making really good cheese and butter in our plants, but not spending the money that it takes to really be the private label brand out there. So AMPI packages products that are wrapped around several of the nation's leading brands. And we sell to many food service companies as well. So if you're enjoying a cheeseburger at a, a quick service restaurant, it maybe is cheese that came from AMPI. If you're enjoying uh, a nice butter on the side of your meal at a, at a restaurant, that could have come from AMPI. So it was only just here recently that the co-op's board of directors said, you know, consumers want to know the story behind how their foods are produced. And that's why AMPI just recently launched our own brand, Dinner Bell Creamery. And that butter, it's predominantly packaged as butter, and then our premium cheese slices as well. And I hope that people throughout the country will have Dinner Bell Creamery become more of a household name, something they know that when they purchase Dinner Bell Creamery, they are supporting upper Midwest dairy farmers who really know how to make a great piece of cheese and a good stick of butter. And so that's where I'm going to I'm going to pass it over to you Vernon cuz I know we got to move on to the next segment, but that's what I'm excited to talk about next if it works for you on the side of our products we proudly promote that they're co-op crafted. 
Fantastic. I like the idea that you're promoting co-ops. We're going to take our next break. And, Barry, I really want to come back and talk some more about this 100. You, you told us how it got started, what it's been doing. Sarah's been pushing through what it's like, and I want to get more on this, of what it's like to be in this 100. And what are the benefits, Barry, of these folks being on this on this list? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the show is Everything Cooperative. And this Thursday morning, uh, we have Mr. Barry Silver and Sarah Smith on the line with us. And you know, Barry, National Co-op Bank has sponsored this program for seven years. We've been on the air this past October. We celebrate our seventh anniversary. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial-related services. And not only do, do they do a good job of that, but they've also done an extremely good job of helping us to understand this co-op world and give us ideas like the idea of let's really talk about this Co-op 100 list uh, that NCB has started 30 years ago. So, Barry, I really want to talk about what are some of the things that you hear from the people on this list and the people that are not on this list that want to be on this list? What's the benefits of being on this list? Well, if you look at the total amount of revenue these co-ops on the list generate in the United States, we're talking over $220 billion. That's significant. And the co-ops that are on this list can use and do use this list with local government agencies, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, to communicate ways of doing business between each other. Ag co-ops don't always know that REI is a cooperative, for instance. Um, What's REI? What's REI? Recreational Equipment, Inc. is the largest consumer-owned cooperative in the country. I know they have stores in uh, Minneapolis. And they're based out of Seattle, Washington, and they have around 1.4 million members. And they have a very they have a they have a store right here in D.C. They open up a superstore in D.C. I went down there. I keep threatening to join them, but yeah, it's a great, 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 great store. They they do clearly work for their members and pay patronage refunds. They take their profits and pass them back to their members. But um, there wasn't a vehicle one vehicle which brought together all these different kinds of co-ops. NCBA was focused on housing co-ops to some extent and consumer co-ops. The farm credit system had a, has a, um, an association of farmer co-ops, but there wasn't one group, one place where you could go and find out all the different kinds of co-ops. And the Co-op 100 does that very thing because it includes um, the, the largest healthcare co-op on this list is Health Partners out of Minneapolis, owned by physicians that work together to provide medical services for their members. Blue Diamond Growers, for example, we've all heard of Blue Diamond as a brand. Their members are providing product to their co-op and helping their farmer members. 
There are also a number of grocery co-ops. The largest non-farm co-op on the Co-op 100 list is Wakefern, listed um, at ShopRite, and number four. Thanks, Vernon. And that's the that's the wholesale number. If these retail grocery stores had to compete with uh, the likes of Albertsons and some of the larger retail food stores, they couldn't. So these co-ops that are on this list, and there's been a lot of consolidation over the years, provide services to their retail members. And the Co-op 100 list hopes, helps to highlight the fact that they buy product from from um, farm co-ops. You know, an area that we'd love to see happen, and this is now co-ops talks to each other. Uh, AMPI didn't know that ShopRite was a co-op, for example. Um there are a number of electric co-ops that work together that are on this co-op 100 list to see how large they are. This isn't an electric co-op isn't some um, some fellow in a small hut with his cogeneration machine providing a light bulb to 500 people in a small community in Minnesota. These are big co-ops, the electric co-ops, and they provide uh, energy and um, distribution systems for their primarily rural members. And like I said before, credit unions. They're very large and very successful. So there's been a lot more communication between these different types of co-ops than there was before the Co-op 100. And still there needs to be a lot more. So you're really talking about the sixth principle, cooperation among co-ops. So this helps that cooperation to happen. Housing co-ops working with credit unions to help get share loans or whatever else that people in the particular limited equity co-ops, limited equity housing co-ops. And then Sarah's group can work with ShopRite because it's a co-op and folks that are working as co-op have this sixth principle to work with other co-ops in order to build this ecosystem so that they help communities. It works. It works really well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, Sarah, do you all have bragging rights for being on this, being the 27th one on this list, this, the American milk producers? Yeah, I, I think if you can have that kind of a stake in this list, it, it really does help us in communicating our values and our principles with our customers. And so, really, when we can talk about the fact that we're a co-op and we check all those boxes of the co-op principles of, you know, voluntary open membership, the fact that the members control the business, that they participate in the economics of the business, and yet they're their own person and have that education training and information that they share, and that we work together with other co-ops and concern for community, right? I just listed off the principles of co-ops that resonates with consumers. It really does. It's a fantastic story. And one of my favorite things about this list, uh, Vernon, is that I can look and I'm surprised every time. I usually find one I didn't realize was a co-op. And for others, I can say, I know someone who works there. And one of the reasons why I know someone who works there is a group that we have in the co-op world called the Cooperative Communicators Association, CCA, Cooperative Communicators Association. And so what that is, it's the communicator role, uh, whether it's a writer, spokesperson, uh, graphic designer, whoever holds that role at a co-op can be a member of this professional development organization. 
And my favorite thing about CCA is the networking opportunities. We get to learn from one another. We get to share ideas with one another. This past um, co-op month, we worked with co-ops in our local area to place an advertisement in the local newspaper about the importance of co-ops. So I love the fact that not only do I learn something new each time I see this list and, and I can talk about this list with our customers, but I love that I now know people who are actively engaged in co-ops across the country and even around the world. Um, a, a connection of mine that I met through CCA, she's actually working abroad for uh, establishing co-ops in um, Armenia. So it's really made this this big world smaller for me. I love learning about other cultures, and that's really what that co-op mentality uh, unites us all. So you just mentioned the seven principles extremely nicely because one is volunteer and open membership, two is democratic member control, one member, one vote, three is member economic participation, pick money in, and if there's a profit, I mean, yeah, you get some money out. Fourth is autonomy and independence. You have to have control. Fifth is education, training, and information. Number one that I love in co-op is training. Sixth is cooperation among co-ops. We've already talked about it. And seventh, concern for community. And you did it so neatly. I'm going to get... A pad or somebody to to take what you just said. I want to have it written up for me. <laughs> I like the way you just said that. And uh, I also want to know more about this cooperative communications association to see if I might be able to join that because that's the whole reason for everything co-op is to communicate the values and the impact of co-ops in the U.S. in the world in marginalized communities. Uh, and I have that co-ops are a way for folks, black and brown, native. Uh, women, anybody that has been marginalized to pull themselves out. And we talked about international. Dame Pauline Green was on this show, and she said co-ops help people to, to come out of poverty with dignity. And I really like that, like that comment a lot. Now, uh, do you find that you guys are, are competitors to Cabot Creamery? We would be similar. And, and I would say that we're similar maybe five to ten years from now. And the reason being Cabot many years ago decided we're going to be a brand. So their ownership structure is identical to AMPI. It's dairy farmers who own the business. They're in the Northeast. We're in the Midwest. But years ago, they decided, hey, we want to have a brand. AMPI is a bit uh, newer to the party in the brand space. And so that's why, um, like I said, our board of directors are dairy farmers. They really felt like it's time. And so we, we launched Dinnerbell Creamery. And when we were working on Dinnerbell Creamery, we wanted a really quick way of defining the creamery, dinner bell. And we felt like it was important to talk about the fact that we're co-op owned. And so what we talk about now is a, a phrase that we've trademarked called co-op crafted. And what co-op crafted represents is farmer owned co-op crafted. It's dairy farmers coming together to produce the milk and that milk goes onto the manufacturing plant and it's crafted by skilled artisan cheese and butter makers. So co-op crafted is a mark that I'm really excited about. And I think, <laughs> I, I know you're laughing at how much enthusiasm I have. For oh, this yeah, yeah. And, and how hungry you make me. <laughs> okay. I know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> then I'm doing my job. It's, I work in It's food. only 11 o'clock. <laughs> <Okay>. Fantastic. 
The one thing um, I think that resonates with consumers really is that co-op crafted aligns with your personal values, right? You want to be part of something bigger than yourself and help something bigger than just you individually. And so um, I'm thankful that I get to work for a food company because food is essential to life. It sincerely is. And I'm thankful that I get to work for dairy farmers who I believe in. I believe they are making a great product and they're doing it very responsibly. You can only make good milk if the cows are happy. They must, must be well cared for. And so that's that's the core of what they're doing. They're caring for their cows. And because they live on their farms, they are raising families on their farms. You better believe they take good care of the land. And that's where they live. So they're very responsible stewards of the land and the environment around them. And so that's really what Co-op Crafted represents, that these, these dairy farmers care for their land and their animals. And we've got some of the best cheesemakers in the country crafting a great tasting product. Well, I'm glad to have you as the mouthpiece for the for the because <laughs> you do it well. Thank you. I, I think you know, I have a unique perspective in that I grew up on the dairy farm and, and my dad loves what he does. And I've got a mom who grew up on the south side of Chicago of all places, right? It's a story for another time, Vernon, but she's now a a family physician. And so I have this good balance between understanding where my food comes from and the important role food plays in a healthy diet. In a healthy being, yes. Exactly. And your mom brings that. So, Barry, we're going to have to take our last break. I don't know how much we can get into this group, but when we come back, I'd really like to talk more about this list uh, we've talked about CHS being number one, um, uh, Wake ShopRite being number four. We got REI as number, they're here number, where they're seven? No, Navy Federal Credit is number seven. REI is number 15. And Associated Milk Producers, as Sarah's just been talking about, Making Me Hungry is number 27. So I, I want to come back and talk some more about this list. And I got it by the community, for the community, and Sarah just explained that extremely well, growing up on a farm and taking care of the land, taking care of the animals, producing excellent milk, and it goes into cheese for other communities. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about this list. And I, I really want to get into what co-ops can do, particularly after COVID, what we can do to create a, a new economy for Everybody, particularly marginalized people. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Hi, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. WOL makes a great, great, great uh, partner in this uh, for this show. We've been here for the seven years. Because their mantra, which you just heard, is information is power. And NCB is helping support this program to give you information about co-ops. Because if you take the information, you only get the power when you put it into action. You have to put action. You have to strike the, the power, put power to get power out of the information. So we're hoping you'll take the information that Sarah and Barry is talking about today, 
look up and search out some of these cooperative businesses, or buy from them, figure out if you can work for them, or go start your own co-op. Figure out what kind of problem you have in your community, no matter what it might be, cleaning up Anacostia River, whatever the problem may be, then you create a co-op to do that, particularly if you like doing it. That way you'll never work. You wouldn't even need a vacation. You just vacation by going to work, by doing good, and by helping community. Barry, what else would you have to tell us about this list? What do you What do you want the people out there to hear about this list of 100? This is a, a very moving list. Revenues, for instance, in the ag community tended to go down between 2018 and 2019, which is the function of this latest report, because commodity prices dropped. Credit unions lent more money to people, and so they went higher on the list. More consumers joined credit unions. You, you mentioned Navy Federal Credit Union and how, how large that is. And $8 billion in revenue for a little small credit union. It's not so small. And, again, we've added uh, another credit union to this list. There are now, I believe, five on the list. But you also have on this Co-op 100 list the list of all of the two other major cooperative banks that lend money to the cooperative industry. And one is CoBank and the farm credit system banks that are separately owned by people that borrow money and do business with those financial institutions. And also the Cooperative Finance Corporation, which is owned by rural electric and telephone co-ops across the country. And they're on the list. And their uh, revenue uh, over the years, the rural electrics, has gone up. So this is a very dynamic list that will change. For example, last year we had Associated Press. Most people don't see that as a co-op, but it is owned by newspapers and television stations around the country. They didn't have quite as much uh, revenue, and so they just barely missed the list for 2019. But, the, of course, we know the re- reason they didn't make the list is because more people are getting their news from online sources rather than newspapers and, um, and television. So uh, we, we really enjoy seeing this list and where co-ops fall on the list. One of the co-ops that we work with at the National Cooperative Bank is Wakefront Food Corp., they have around 60 members, retail grocery store members that operate in New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut and Maryland, Pennsylvania, and they compete very well with the uh, non-co-op wholesale grocers. And there's there's another list besides this co-op list. I just want to get this point across, and, and Vernon mentioned purchasing co-ops. We don't have purchasing co-ops on this list. We used to, years ago, there was a purchasing co-op based in Texas that was owned by hospitals, and they purchased all the hospital supplies. But the reason is most purchasing co-ops that complained they weren't on the list when we first published it 25 years ago, because their revenue are the commissions they use to negotiate with manufacturers to produce carpet, for example. Carpet One, that many of you have heard about, is a strong purchasing co-op. Howard Brodsky is the CEO or chairman, and their income is the revenues they get from negotiating with manufacturers on behalf of their members. So that income is not like the income that AMPI generates on behalf of their members because they're paying, AMPI is paying their former members the the price of, of milk, essentially, wholesale. 
And there are a number of purchasing co-ops that don't appear on this list. We once produced a separate list, but since the income is not easily auditable, we had a hard time putting a significant enough list together. But I think it's fair to say that co-ops around the country that are on this list really are happy they are on the list, really can use the list to inform their members that, in fact, look how large this co-op community is. And it's a significant economic block for communities across the country, and especially when they're working together. Phenomenal. Now, I want to talk about membership here a minute. In this Wisconsin study that I mentioned earlier, they suggested that 35 million members, uh, their membership uh, that Americans hold, and there's only they say 350 million members, and there's only 330 million Americans. And so you go, well, how can you have that many memberships? And that's because Americans, on average, belong to three co-ops. Um, I would imagine, Sarah, when you were growing up, uh, well, let me ask you this. How many memberships did your family, how many co-op memberships did you all belong to? So um, probably more memberships than what I realized. But when I look at my small family right now, we live on a farm just outside of New Ulm, and we are members of our electric co-op of our feed co-op for our cattle that we're raising on our farm. I learned today that Health Partners, our insurance provider, is a co-op. We are members of a phone cooperative. So for sure four that I can think, oh, nope, thought of another one, our um, natural gas comes from a cooperative. So easily five um, memberships that we currently hold. Do you belong to a credit union? Oh, yep, six. See, the list just keeps going on. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you look. I, I can interrupt for a quick second. Can you hear me all yeah. right? Yes. The, um, there was a meeting at the White House about five or six years ago with co I was there, Barry. I was there. Yeah, and so Keep was going. I. And, okay. and the Secretary uh, of the Treasury, he was a, I think he was the Chief of Staff at the time, came in and gave a presentation to um, – there must have been 60, 50 or 60, 70 cooperators in the meeting. And um, Walden Swanson, who's, who's a co-op leader for, for decades, said to him, um, said to the treasurer, are you a member of a co-op? And he said, no, I'm not a member of a co-op. And everybody kind of hissed and booed and, in a very soft way. And then Walden said, are you a member of a credit union? He said, well, I belong to four. <laughs> so <laughs> there was the answer. There are a lot of co-ops that are pervasive in, everywhere, and we're hoping that this co-op 100 list is one way to help educate people around the world and, and the U.S. why and how, how significant co-ops are. So what you get, though, the reason I ask you that, Sarah, because I figured that it was going to be five or six, okay? And then if you start looking at how many co-ops you buy from, okay, what kind of products when you go into the grocery store or if you're a member of REI. REI is a little bit different, but if you're a member of REI, then that's another one. So there's 350 memberships that Americans have, and I figure on average they belong to three. Uh, folks in the farming may be six or seven or eight or nine or ten, but um, – so on average three, so you get about 120 million Americans that belong to co-ops. That's about a third, a little bit more than a third of, of Americans that belong to co-ops. And most like 
that Secretary of State don't even know it if they belong to a consumer co-op, a housing co-op, electric co-op, credit union. They don't even know they're belonging. So uh, this CCA that you told me about, uh, we have to let people know more. And I like what your branding is, um, Sarah. So we only have a couple minutes left. So let me start with you. Uh, I want to ask both of you, so make it quick. Barry, do you like what you do, particularly working co-ops? Well, I started working with co-ops in the Peace Corps in 1968 in Peru, and uh, I didn't know the first thing about co-ops, but I was doing co-op work for two years and came back and got drafted in the Army, and not a lot of co-op stuff in the Army. It's, you know, march straight forward, not a lot of – anyways. So uh, I then came to Washington and worked, and, and I was at the bank when it first started in 1980, and I retired – about four or five years ago from the bank and formed a company that I've been involved in providing cooperative consulting work in the finance arena around the world. Okay. So, I've been back so you like it, Sarah. Sarah, do you like what you do? Vernon, I love telling people I love telling people that my first employer was my dairy farmer dad and I fully intend that my final employer will be dairy farmers. So I love what I do. I love that I get to work for them every day. So everybody out there, if you really want to love what you're doing, work, figure out, find a co-op and work for them or start one. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday. And then this week, please, 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 please live cooperatively. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barry and Sarah. Thank you, Vernon. Thank you. Thank you.